Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. It is a, it is a new year, and of course this month's almost gone, but still a new year. And um, I wanted to share along the lines of remembering some of the things that we need to remember that we've been taught, and also to be reminded of some of the things that God has done for us. And like Lisa just said, uh, we have a very unusual relationship as a church. I don't know of any false church I've ever seen that goes to the trouble in the minor details, the minute details, to show hospitality and consideration and work together as a team like we do here. I'm not trying to say we're the only ones or anything or we're the best or anything. All I'm saying is it's just don't you don't see it. It's just rare. And really I've been in a number of churches. So <clears throat> so I really wanted to start out just talking about how blessed we are here at Gateway to have each other and to have the love that we have among us and the fellowship that we have and the truth that we have and even the correction that we have because without correction there's no growth and no change. And that's just part of love. A church that doesn't have correction is a church without love. Because they just let you sit there in your flesh and your sins and just die. And all the time telling you how happy or how faithful you are because you attend church every week. Like that's all that really matters. So here at Gateway we have members that serve one another in every kind of way. Every kind of way. Just like yesterday. Just like yesterday's funeral. Some of you spoke. Some of you supported. Some of you encouraged. Some of you prayed. And some of you prepared food. And some of you delivered food. <laughs> so everybody was a part of it. And we, were, we did it as a team. Here at Gateway we have lots and lots of fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship means intimate, intimate relationships. In other words, heart to heart, friend to friend. You know, we visit, we talk, we share, we know each other. We participate in each other's life. We encourage one another. We ask each other questions. We challenge one another. We correct one another. We love one another. We serve one another. And like I said, in every kind of way, we serve each other, whether it's a physical need, or if it's a, a spiritual need, or if it's just a, a, a need to share the word or encourage. We, we do it. It's all, it's all part of what we do as a whole. There's even been times there's been financial needs, and we find a way to help meet that. So among us here at Gateway, there's an abundance of wisdom, an abundance of, um, of talent and love and experience. And we share all of that. And honestly, when I sit in the big churches, 
Whatever talent and wisdoms were there didn't do me any good because when everybody left and went home, that was the end of it. We didn't have relationships. We didn't have heart to heart. We didn't come see each other. We didn't work things out if there was a problem. We just went back to church, sang the same old songs, and did the same old thing week after week. And not only do we have those things I've already mentioned, but we have the Word of the Lord. The Lord has delivered to us as a fellowship so many rich teachings and wise messages to change our lives and to get us out of our flesh and to wake us up and to grow us up and to mature us and to change us. And we never had that anywhere we ever went before. We had the same old messages, doctrines about the denomination, all about going to church and a lot of psychology and a number of silly jokes that the pastor would crack and of course take up the offering. I have never been in a church like this myself. I'm blessed to be here with you guys. I'm blessed to know you. I'm blessed to call you my brothers, my sisters, and my friends. Not only have I never been in a church like this, I've never seen one like this. So I wanted to start off by just encouraging everyone here to not take it for granted what we have and what God has done among us and to really appreciate it and appreciate each other. <clears throat> and I just want to review a little bit about what makes us different concerning meetings, for an example. I know we don't get together as a group all together like this, except every once in a while. We try to do it once a month, but sometimes different things prevent us from it. But <clears throat> let me talk to you how, about how it was in the early church. You see, because, since we don't get together but just occasionally as a complete group like this, don't think that you're missing something. Don't think that you're missing out on something because the false church meets every week, twice a week, three times a week, multiple times a week with various programs and various different ceremonies and all these things. Since we don't meet every week like the false church does, don't think you're missing out on something. Because we're very similar to the early church. If you remember reading the Bible, in the early church, in the very beginning, there were thousands and thousands of people added to the church very quickly. In fact, there's one place where 3,000 were added in just one day. Yet they didn't have a building to go to. And they didn't have a denomination. And it says they met from house to house daily. And the houses they lived in were a lot smaller than the houses we live in. So how did 3,000, 6,000, 10,000, 20,000 people meet daily from house to house? It's exactly the way we do it. Two or three meet here, two or three meet there. Some go over here, some go over there. Some visit this person, some go to that person. Two or three get together, four or five get together. One or two get together in a different house all over the place, all the time, every day, somewhere somebody's meeting. Every day somebody's talking to somebody. Every day somebody's visiting somebody. And I guarantee you, in Gateway, there's not a day goes by <laughs> that we're not meeting from house to house. There's lots of fellowship. There's all the fellowship you want. 
If you don't feel like you're getting enough fellowship, it's your fault because you're not calling somebody, you're not inviting somebody, and you're not checking on somebody, you're not caring for somebody, you're not visiting somebody. So if you don't have enough fellowship, then you need to look at yourself and say, why am I not? Because it's here. For an example, Rita and I typically meet with somebody at our home two or three, sometimes four, four times a week. I know Mike and Tisa do it. I know that Kyle and Kenzie do it, and Liz and Brandon do it, and Tim and Linda do it along the way, and, and Scott and Barbara had people over and doing stuff with the young people and ladies' meetings. And all the rest of us, if your name's not mentioned, don't feel bad. Everybody here is doing it in some level or another, meeting with somebody on a regular basis. Then we have youth meetings and ladies' meetings and men's meetings. So there's no shortage of get-togethers just because we only get together here all together at one time once a month or even less. You remember what Jesus said about that? He said where two or three are gathered together, there I am in your midst. That's all it takes to have church. We've been so programmed by the religious world that we got to go to where the clergy is. We got to go to where the worship service is. We got to go to the big building. But that's just not church. Church is the people. Church, the word church in the Greek is, it means those that are called out. It's the people of God. Wherever they are, they're the church. It's not the organization, it's the people. So, not to mention all the meetings. I mean, besides all the meetings that we have, personally, one-on-one, -on -one, then there's all the text and the emails and the phone calls and conferences on the phone, checking up on people, following up with people. There's just no end to it. So what's, what are we missing then that the big church has? Nothing. All someone say, well, we don't have Sunday school for the children. I'm sure glad we don't. You remember we did the research about how Sunday school got started and, and we did the research on how, how it actually hurts our children to send them to Sunday school because we don't know what they're being taught. We don't know the opinions they're hearing. We don't know the doctrines and philosophies that somebody's given them. So some stranger in Sunday school is going to teach our children while it makes parents lazy and neglect to teach their children at home. I'm glad we don't have Sunday school. Because you know why? God has called each of us parents to be our own child's teacher. It's our duty and our job to teach and train our own children. Not Sunday school. So anyway, when Reed and I used to go to the false church, we went to church all the time, it seemed like. We were, as I used to say, church to death. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, choir practice, visitation, youth meetings, prison ministry, visitation. Did I mention that already? Well, anyway, you get the picture? It was something all the time. So we were running and going, running and going, running and going. We didn't have time. <laughs> this is what's so ironic about it. We didn't have time for our marriage to work on it. We didn't have time for our children to really spend any time worthwhile with them because it's getting ready to go to church again. 
And we didn't have time for God. Of all things, we didn't even have time for God because we went to church so much. And then we were called faithful because we were always there. But we weren't faithful to God. We were faithful to some man's institution until we learned better. <clears throat> so as you know, Gateway, here at Gateway, our church, at this place, we have loving and real personal relationships with one another. It says in John, 1 John, it says, when we have koinonia, that is, intimacy with God, we have it with one another. And when I was in the big church world, we tried to have a relationship with God, but we really didn't have any relationship with anybody there other than whatever we did in the building. When we got out of the building, it was all over with. But here we're different. It's not about going to a building. It's not about ceremonies and rituals. It's not about singing in the choir. It's not about attending Sunday school. It's about knowing each other and helping each other and walking in love with each other and training and correcting and instructing and loving each other till we all grow into maturity, until we become the perfect man that God has called us to be. So as a result, our pattern of church here is almost exactly like the New Testament church. <clears throat> but see, it's the difference is that the false church, it wants to herd everybody in like a herd of cattle into a building, into the corral, and then everybody sits there and watches whatever they do there, and then they take your money, and then they tell you how faithful to God you've been, and how you serve the Lord because you came and sat there. And then people feel, oh, I've served the Lord because I sat here for two hours, or one hour, or whatever, and put my money in the plate. So anyway, anyone... Anyway, I want you to remember, I want you to remember how blessed we are to have a church like we have, to have each other, which is really the church. And I want you to also recognize how rare it is to find that. So don't squander what God has provided here. Don't come and sit here and listen but not really obey. Don't come and sit here and listen and not really change because you will have wasted such a precious and rare opportunity to know God and to please God and to grow in God because it's just not around anymore. Our whole country is falling apart. The whole church world is corrupt. And for us to have what we have, we're like just a little bitty spot in the universe. But we have each other and we have the Lord and we have truth. So don't squander it. The next thing I'd like to just remind you of some of the recent teachings we've had just to review. You remember we talked about how we're to handle concerning our past. What we went through growing up, how we were treated, how we've been abused, so forth and so on. You remember Paul wrote in Colossians 3 verse 1, he said, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. 
For you have died, that is, you've died to the old life, and your life is hidden in Christ. So, so the question I brought up was, if your old life is hidden in Christ, why keep dwelling on your past? And even keep on talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and thinking about it and running it over and over again in your mind. Whatever you've suffered is supposed to be hidden in Christ and behind you. He even says in Isaiah 43, 18, he says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. I'm not saying is there anything wrong. If you're sharing with somebody how God has changed your life, you can say, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was an adulterer. I was whatever. But the Lord transformed my life. The real testimony is about what God has done. Not what you've done, but what God has done. And how He's changed your life. And so that just gives people some context. But you don't have to go on and on for an hour about, you know, all the terrible things you've done and all the terrible things that happened to you and how you were mistreated and how you were this and how you were that. It doesn't profit anything. It doesn't profit anything for you to think about it that much either. The only reason you might think about it is to be reminded of where the Almighty God has brought you from so you'll be humble and broke into tears with gratitude for what He has done for you. Not to feel sorry for yourself, not to try to get pity from somebody else, but to remember where He has brought you from. So, repeatedly talking about your past pains and abuses and hurts and mistreatments and even your sins and so forth that you suffered in the past is not good. And it's not good for those that hear it, to hear it a lot, on and on and on. Just to show you how the Lord handles our past, He said in Hebrews 10, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I want to remind you of that because we talked about that not that long ago. He forgets it. If he forgets it, we should forget it. Also in Psalms, the great encouragement through David was in Psalms 103 verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. There is no way to measure that. East, the distance between the east and the west is an infinite number. It's a never-ending number. There's no, there's no calculation for that. That's how far away he has removed our sins from us. That is, if we've repented and turned to him with all of our heart. Wow, then we don't need to keep talking about it, thinking about it. I feel bad about the things that I've done in the past, but when I, even when I have a moment that I start feeling really bad about it, then I remember that I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. I've been saved. <clears throat> so the only th not only are our transgressions removed that were in the past, our past itself is removed. So our testimony, again, should be about what God has done for us to redeem our lives and not about how terrible our life was. 
And in association with that thought, I want to remind you too that we also talked recently about, in the last, sometime last year, we talked about the problem of having bitterness. And that bitterness often, oftentimes is associated with our past. But I want to remind you of what I call the human dilemma. If you remember the human dilemma, think about this. There's not a one of us on the face of the earth that hasn't been done wrong. Somebody or multiple people or multiple situations have wronged us. We have been wronged, sometimes severely, mistreated, hurt, taken advantage of, cheated, abused. All of us have had that happen to us. Well, then here's the other side of that coin. Every one of us has wronged others. Every one of us has done other people wrong, done things that wrong that hurt other people. Every one of us has used people, cheated people, done something wrong, lied to someone, took advantage of someone, hurt someone, or whatever, however you want to put it, so we've done wrong to others. Every one of us has. Because he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here we are in a dilemma. We're caught in the middle. On one hand, we've been done wrong. And we want to get even, maybe if we don't watch it, hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness. But on the other hand, what about the wrong we've done? What about that? How are we going to reconcile these two wrongs? There's really no solution for this except to get out of this dilemma, except that we have to turn to God with our whole heart and we have to by faith and by our own will forgive those that have wronged us and receive forgiveness from God for what we've done wrong. And that clears it all up. Things like bitterness, self-pity, hurt feelings, anger, all those things show that you have a need to forgive and to be forgiven. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, Jesus said, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So there's that dilemma. You've got to forgive to be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. You're caught in the middle. And I can tell you that having thankfulness for God's willingness to give us the chance to start over, I call it being born again, that chance that He would give us, the opportunity, the privilege to give up our old life, to be cleansed from our old sins, to start all over, to clean the slate, to give us a new life in Jesus. The thankfulness that we should have for that should be go a long ways towards making it a lot easier to forgive those that have wronged us. And if you add to that a spirit of humility, recognizing that you didn't deserve to be forgiven, and who are you to hold something against the other person? So adding humility to thankfulness gives you great power to forgive anyone of anything. 
and then you're free. Oh, there's nothing like that freedom. I was a bitter young man. I remember what it was like to be bitter. And I found out what it was like to also be free. Another thing that we talked about this last year was about simplicity. This topic has come up again and again. Why do you think it keeps coming up? Do you have any idea why it would come up again? Oh, you do? Well, good. So I don't need to cover that again, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to cover it a little bit. I want to remind you that we're supposed to live, according to the Scriptures, a simple and quiet life. Simplicity is the opposite of what the world does all the time. See, the world goes all out for stuff. It goes all out for parties. It goes all out for sports. It goes all out for fun. It goes all out, you know, for if it has a get-together, if it has a birthday, if it has, you know, whatever it has. It just goes all out. It goes over the top. It has, the world is extremely excessive about things. It's, it makes things complicated. It's anything, the world is anything but simple. And simplicity also means that you do everything with sincerity and simple in heart with only one motive. Now this is very important to remember. If you're trying to please men, or if you're trying to look good to men, or if you're trying to appear like you're something that maybe you want people to think you are, in other words, pride's working, you're going to complicate things. And you're going to stumble. But the spirit of simplicity has in its heart to only do one thing. Whatever it's doing, just to please the Lord. It's not to look good. It's not to get the approval of men. It's not to make others think highly of yourself. It's not to make a show. It's simple of heart and that your motive is to do the right thing in any situation, irregardless of what anybody thinks, but just to do it because it's the right thing and you just want to please God. That's simple heart. That's a simple heart. That's what God is looking for. And this simple heart also simplifies other areas of his life. In other words, a simple heart is going to, if it's going to celebrate a birthday or a holiday, or if it's going to have a baby or bridal shower, or if it's going to have a get together, it finds ways to just simplify the whole process so that more time and focus can be spent with the person and on things that really matter than being like Martha running around busy, 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 busy doing like Martha did. In other, in other words, not doing what Mary did, which Mary just came and sat at the right, right hand of Jesus, to, at the foot of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And Martha was worried about all the other many, 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 many details and was running all over the place. So you can see the difference in simple and over the top. Paul also wrote to the church and said, in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ 
But I am afraid, Paul said, that even as a serpent beguiled Eve with his coming, with his cunning, he said, you know, no words, tricking, your minds might be corrupted and led astray from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, so my job is just to remind you and myself that we are to have only a simple motive. And whatever we do, don't think about what other people think. Don't think about how it's going to look to other people. Think about how it's going to look to God. Think about how it appears to the Lord. And do it only to please God. So, and when you have the simplicity of heart, then your eye is clear. You don't have speculations, evil suspicions. You don't have false judgments. Your eye is perfectly clear to see what's really going on because your only motive is to practice justice and righteousness in every situation so you can see clearly. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. He said, so if your eye is clear, and that's the Greek word for simple, if your eye is clear, in other words, simple, with no motive, no agenda, your heart's pure in the matter. He says, and that, it, and that your eye is spiritually perceptive, as it says in the Amplified, then your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. So here's what it means. Your eyes clear means it's seeing in a simple, unclouded way with no hidden motives, no speculations, no suspicions, no assumptions, no false judgments, but only with love, purity, justice, and truth. You can't make judgments if you don't have that eye clear. You'll be all messed up. He goes on to say that if your eye is not clear, in other words, it has darkness in it, and then your whole body's full of darkness. In other words, everything you see, you see perverted. So, in the spirit of simplicity, I also want to remind you that we learned that we should keep our communications simple with fewer words, being clear and straightforward as to what we're really saying. Remember, we talked about excessive, even long text and emails. Remember, we said that that's not wise. If you've got something to say that's very important, you know, pick up the phone and give somebody a call or go see them. We also talked about excessive words in our verbal communication. When you start rambling and talking in circles and just saying a lot of words without saying hardly anything, that's not of God. That's demonic. You know, we need to, we need to be a people that speaks very clearly and, and speaks straightforwardly what we have to say. And if we don't really have an answer, we just need to say, I'm sorry, but I don't have anything to say. Or I don't really have an answer for you. But don't just wing it and just go on and on and on. That's demonic. And remember, if you have to communicate some personal instruction to somebody, some personal concern or some personal information that may even be sensitive or even corrective possibly or maybe just something very lengthy or maybe it's complicated. 
Don't do it by text. Don't do it by email. Get a meeting with them. Talk it out. Let them hear your heart. Let them hear the tone of your voice. Let them hear what you're really saying. Because if you read it in black and white, it can be taken nine different ways and misunderstood, which it does happen. Happened a number of times this last year, didn't it? We need to not do that. Again, simple. Make it simple. Ecclesiastes, in talking about our words, the writer said, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of the Lord. Well, where's the presence of the Lord? He's in His people, right? In other words, to the people of God, into the presence of the Lord. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, but the voice of a fool through many words. Proverbs 10, 19, to remind you, says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And Jesus also said that when you stand praying, in Matthew 6, he says, When you stand praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So you know what? Our prayers don't need to be complicated. I don't know, have you thought about this? Did you know that God can read our minds? Do you know that you don't even have to use words with God? I mean, just thoughts and groans and moans and cries and tears and biting your pillow and you know, putting your arm around it. He hears your heart. God hears what you're saying. It's ridiculous to, to quote a bunch of long words to God. It's like, you know, He gets it. It's just like sometimes, you know, when you understand what somebody's about to tell you, and they go off on this long rant, and you say, look, I got it, I got it. <laughs> you don't need to keep on, I, I get it. You know, you know how you feel when, you know, you already get it, and they still want to tell you more, and say, no, I get it. <laughs> What's the Lord saying? Look, I get it. I know what you're here for. I know what's on your mind. I can read it. I know better than you do what's on your mind. So, you don't have to use a lot of words. Just fall down before Him. Open your heart up to Him. Cry out from within. He knows. He gets it. So concerning simplicity, the reminder is this. In every part of your life, make everything as simple as possible. Okay? Also, in recent times, sometime last year, we talked about how desperate we are for God and the things of God versus maybe God just being an abstract concept to us. So I raised this question in discussing this idea. I said, do you really hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you really hunger and thirst? You know, do you know what it is when you get hungry? You know, I'd be back in my office working, been back there for a few hours punching numbers, and I get hungry. 
So guess what I do? I don't just sit there and keep punching numbers. Guess what I do? I start looking around the house. I go to the kitchen. What's in the refrigerator? What's in the snack drawer? What's in the chip drawer? You know, I start looking around. What's, what can I make a sandwich with? I'm, I'm hungering for something to eat. When you, if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, wouldn't you be like searching for something to eat? Wouldn't you be calling on the Lord to, Lord, I'm so sick of myself. I'm so tired of being lazy, so tired of being this, so tired of being that. God, can you do anything for me? I'm asking you. I'm seeking for help. I'm hungry for righteousness. So the question is, are you desperate? Or is God just another concept like uh, the man in the moon or the tooth fairy or, you know, is he real or not real or, you know, I was reading something and there's questions about God being even in existence and I kind of thought about this and that, or is it just a concept to you? Just a kind of an abstract concept about God? Or do you pray like you really believe that he's really loved, that he really hears you, that he really cares? How do you pray? Do you cry out from the heart to the Lord? Or do you talk to Him in a monotone voice like, Oh Lord, I wish that maybe you could help me with this problem. Or do you say, Lord, help me. Please hear me. Are you desperate? Or is he just an abstract concept? Well, think about it here on the earth. Let's say you got in some trouble. And the only one that can help you is the judge. And so you get to go before the judge and just says, Okay, sonny boy. Tell me how, tell me why I should let you go. Before I throw you in jail. So... <clears throat> How would you appeal to the judge? Would you appeal to him with heart of passion? Oh, your honor, if you just let me go, I'll go the straight and narrow. I'll never do that again. I'll even go help the poor and, 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 and I'll, I'll give my time to society and I'll, 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 I'll treat my dog good. I'll do everything right, Lord. Your honor? Or would you just uh, give him a ho-hum Request. What do you think? You getting a picture? Are you desperate? <laughs> or, is, or is this just abstract to you? Abstract means something existing in thought or maybe just as an idea but not having any real concrete existence to you. In other words, it's kind of like, yeah, I kind of believe in God, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't see him. I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't really, you know. In other words, it doesn't have a concrete, solid belief system. And you can tell that he's abstract to you by the way you pray. You can tell he's abstract to you by the way you seek him or don't seek him. You can tell he's abstract to you by the way you never seem to change. You can tell he really is not real to you because you haven't changed. Right? 
just another abstract idea. But the meaning of reality is, it's knowing the truth about or the state of things as they actually exist. In other words, you believe that God really exists. You believe he's been around forever. You believe that he actually hears you. You believe this very complex, complex universe and how all of us are made, our bodies, the animals, the birds, the trees, how that a cow is a, is, a, is a milk producing machine who eats grass and grass comes from dirt. You look at all that and you say, there's got to be a God. So you believe. But you believe it with your heart, not just an intellectual type of thing. You really, it really grabs your heart. And then it's real to you. And so you don't speak to him mamby-pamby, monotone, humdrum, emptiness. You talk to the living God, the Almighty, who knows everything, every thought. He, he's aware of even when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows how many hairs on my head. Even though I've lost a few the last year, he still knows how many's there now. He knows he's keeping account of them. How he does that, I don't know and I don't care. I don't, I don't have to know how he does it. If you've got to figure out how he does it, you're never going to have any faith. He doesn't have to tell us how he does it. I don't know. All I believe is that he does. <clears throat> so the question is, do you seek for answers from the Almighty God again and again until he delivers? Or do you just go a uh, time or two and maybe make a request and then, mm, well, you know, didn't seem like anything really happened, so just forget it and go on. Is that what you do? I'm just asking because either, either he's real or he's abstract to you. And if he's real, then you really believe that what he said is if you keep on asking, he will answer. And if you keep on seeking, you will find and if you keep on knocking over and over again, he will open the door. If he's real to you, you believe that. And then you won't let up until he moves heaven and earth to answer your question. And it may not be the way you want it answered, but it'll be answered. And so now, now that you've been praying like that, or you should have been. Let's say you should have been. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But if you had been praying like that, you know what? You'll have, you'll have, you'll be able to tell others about the things that God has done to answer your prayers. You can tell again and again how you prayed and how later he, he did this. And you prayed and he did that. You prayed and he answered you this way. He, you, he, you prayed and prayed and lo and behold it came to pass. And you rejoiced and praised God that he heard your prayer and delivered your request. Or you don't have anything at all to tell. Others are sharing what God has done and you have nothing to tell. Hmm. Is it, are you desperate? Or is he abstract? Is he just another abstract concept to you? That you got it in your brain a little bit about God, but you don't got it in your heart. You know there's a difference? 
Hebrews 11 said this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. That means you must believe that He is who He said He is. That He is the Almighty, the All-Knowing, the Creator, the power of the universe, the genius of all time. There's none like Him, no other God before Him. He is the only true and living God. You must believe that He is when you come to Him. If you don't, you're wasting your time. You're even bringing wrath on yourself. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. If I couldn't believe that, I would, I've wasted the last 43 years of my life studying the Word and teaching the Word and trying to help people follow the Lord. I just wasted all that time. I should have been on the beach somewhere. If I can't believe that, what can I believe? So I'm just reminding all of us, again, we're in a new year. Let's believe God. Things are getting dark around us. This earth is getting darker by the hour. Our country is going down, down, down. The whole church world has fallen into apostasy. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. The only hope we have is in a relationship with God. That's the only way we can help ourselves, our children, our marriages, our souls. is to be in a personal, sincere, wholehearted relationship with God. So please be reminded and believe in Him. And have a real and sincere and desperate relationship with Him. When you come to Him, come desperate for Him to do something for you. We all have needs. And come to Him like you really believe. He cares and that He has power and He has authority and He's willing. The next reminder that I want to remind you of is about this comparing ourselves to others and jealousy that comes forth from it. It's been a real problem. Let me tell you how big of a problem it is. For those who do that, compare themselves among themselves, first of all, he says you have no understanding. And secondly, when jealousy enters in, you'll not enter the kingdom. Jealousy will block you out of the kingdom of God. You might as well be a murderer as to have jealousy in your heart. So Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 10. He said, for we are not bold to class or compare, our, compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. In John chapter 21, John wrote this about what was going on. And it was when Peter was with Jesus and the disciples. And they'd been talking about, at the end, how things were going to turn out. And Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? 
So Peter seeing him, that is seeing John on the bosom of Jesus, drawing close to Jesus, and knew that Jesus really loved John, Peter seeing him said to Jesus, you see a little jealousy showing up here. Well, Lord, what about this man? In other words, you've kind of given us some picture of what's going to happen to all of us, but you didn't really say what's going to happen to John. What's going to happen to him? What about him? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? <laughs> Follow me. In other words, if the Lord blesses somebody here among us more than he blesses someone else here among us, so what? What is that to you? If somebody here seems to get a handle on something has been taught and starts running with it and starts overcoming really quickly and starts having good fruit from it and your fruit's not as good, it's not it's turned out as quickly as theirs did and you're looking at them and you start comparing yourself to them then you and, and the, you feel like that the Lord's blessed them more than you what's it to you? See, he said it's so what? Just follow Jesus. <laughs> That hasn't got anything to do with you. It's evil. The church world is full of this. Men trying to please men. Men trying to get approval of men. Men trying to, to catch up with other men. And women doing the same thing. And comparing themselves to this. And their children. And their marriage. And their this. And their finances. The big house they live in. Versus the smaller house. And the big car. The new car. The older car. Whatever. People comparing themselves all the time. Trying to keep up. Trying to save face. Trying to look good. Trying to impress. It's evil. What's it to you? Jesus said. If I gave him more. Just follow me, he says. Just follow me. That's all you got to do. Pay attention. Pay attention to your life and what I'm doing with you. You remember the parable that Jesus gave about the workers, the vineyard? This, 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 uh, this vineyard owner had this big vineyard. He needed need some help. And there's a bunch of men standing around the street early in the morning needing some work. So he hired a handful of them. And he put them into work in the vineyard. And they were working, working, working. And then later in the day, he says, well, you know, I don't know if we're going to get it all done. So he goes and hires some more. About midday, he hires another group and puts them in the vineyard, puts them to work. And they're, they're pushing and trying to get everything all done. And, of course, as the day goes along, it's still a little bit lacking there. And so around the last hour of the day, he hires some more and puts them in there. And then they all get done. And they line up to get paid. So the vineyard owner pays the first group, whatever it was. Second group comes in, pays them the same thing. The ones that were came in at the last hour, pays them the same thing. Now the ones that got paid first and second, they were grumbling because the ones at the end got paid more, got to pay the same thing they did, but only worked an hour. And Jesus telling this parable said, what's it to you? <laughs> Again, it's my vineyard, it's my money. I paid you what I told you I was going to. You have nothing to complain about. I can do whatever I want with the rest of them. There you go. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. It's evil. Don't be jealous over somebody else. It's evil. Be thankful for whatever you got. If you worked all day and got paid for it, be thankful for that. If you got to work only an hour and got paid, paid for it, be thankful for that. 
If you walk with God for 60 years and you're faithful and you go through persecutions and mistreatments and you lose this, you lose that for the Lord, and you end up in heaven, be thankful. If you turn to the Lord the last week of your life and gave your heart to Jesus, you didn't suffer any persecution. You went to heaven too. That don't mean that you. That don't mean you get any less of heaven than the guy who walked with God for sixty years. So that's what Jesus is saying. It don't, it's not based upon merit. It's based upon the gift of God. So be thankful. Just follow Jesus. So the bottom line is: just remember, let us all walk in love. And be happy for the other person who seems to have done very well and even better than we have in some things maybe. And if they receive something we didn't receive, let's be happy for them that they did receive it. Just be happy. Another reminder about what we've learned even in the last year was about the slow fade. you remember the slow fade? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just remember this. I'm going to read you part of the words of the song that we, you know, that we read before. And it speaks for itself. Remember these words. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties up your hands. As darkness pulls the strings, be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are surely to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned gray and thoughts invade, choice is made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. And so there's so many other things that I could remind us of today that we've talked about in the last year or two. We've had many personal meetings. We've had men's meetings, ladies' meetings. We've covered many topics and many things. But here's what I really want you to remember. This is the bottom line. To walk with God with a whole heart. To love God with all of your heart. To love your neighbor as yourself. To walk in simplicity and humility. To overcome every sin and encumbrance that holds you back. And endure to the end so that you will be saved. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.